me start over. Of course. No, 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 I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. Pepper. Pepper. I hate Mick Jagger. What? I hate Mick. And you you know why? I'll I'll say whatever you want to say about the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger is a solid dancer. (laughs) He's a solid six, more like. He's a soft seven. (laughs) Him and his polyester purple turtlenecks. Well, that was specific. Yeah, I'm thinking of it right now. Just him like <laughs> like oh, looking no. like he's sucking dick on stage no. with his arms yeah. behind him. Like when no. you're no, no, in no. middle school and you're like, I bet you can't put your elbows and touch them behind your back. I'm too bad I can see our nipples. Hello, welcome back, guys. Hey, good evening. Welcome back to Solid Six, everyone. I'm Allison, and I'm here with my two hard-boiled sacks of man seed, Brady and Josh. We are finishing our underwater series today with the movie Sphere, but before we get started, let's do a little catch-up. How are you guys? How are you, Brady? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Good. Just living my life inside. Nice. Yeah, I uh, I am on the Kanye watch right now. He has come out of his his nest, and he's ready to. What it, is this like once a season? How often does this yeah. happen? <laughs> I'm glad you asked because it's easy season. As <laughs> you like to say. <laughs> yeah, so this so is a known thing. This is a thing. He actually his fashion line. He does a, a every year. It's called a season. So it's like easy season. He's up to like five or six. Wow. Oh. So. Um, but yeah, this last couple of days, it's been a potpourri of, of exciting Kanye news. So he just signed a 10-year deal with Gap. Um, he used to work at Gap when he was a teenager and has a song about the Gap. So on his first album, Kanye had a song about working at the Gap and stealing from them. And, you know, years and that. years. Yeah, it's called Spaceship. Yeah. And years and years later, he talked about starting his own clothing line and working with Gap. And uh, mentioned this like seven years ago that he was going to do this. And everyone's like, yeah, whatever. And... Uh, just this week, he announced a 10-year deal with his clothing line. And so what I wanted to bring up, he, uh, in a boss move, like he likes to do in his funny, weird, earnest little buddy way, uh, draped a giant sign over the Gap store that he worked at or he he um, shopped at. And it's a handwritten note on the giant vinyl sign that says, Thank God. Hi, Chicago. It's me. This is the Gap store I used to shop at when I would drive my Nissan from the south side. So blessed. I thank God and I am so humbled at the opportunity to serve. I put my heart into the color palette and every detail. I love Tron the original. What? Do you like stuff? I don't know what to do with my hands. Love Yeezy. This is awesome. <laughs> this is just like stream of consciousness. Talk this is why I love Kanye. Talk about this is one, see, Yes. So this is this is why these are the moments that, that every once in a while that I get where I'm I get to go around and point to people like this is why I like this guy. I also love Tron. He's Tron the original. <laughs> yeah. Tron the original. And when you first saw it, you were like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> in my life. The greatest film I have ever seen. 
So yeah, he's like a 14 year old boy. Um, so yeah, I've been following him uh, this week. Uh, he's, he's up to all sorts of fun, fun goodness. But, uh, in terms of movies, I wanted to talk about 365 days. Do you know what this is, Josh? I, I you know what? I saw like, um, some arms wrapped around some bare chests <laughs> mm. and like a image or something like that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> So this is the latest Netflix sensation uh, from Poland. Uh, it is essentially oh. a softcore movie about an Italian man mobster who Italian mobster who kidnaps a woman and basically says, uh, "I will let you go if you don't fall in love with me in the next 365 days." What? Yeah, that's uh, that's Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, yes, that is correct. So <laughs> with spanking, all sorts of problematic sexual dynamics at play in this movie. How much older is he? Uh, they're probably about the same age. Mm. Is he a billionaire? Yes. Because mm. they've already made that movie. That makes it easier. Are you about to say Fifty Shades of Grey? Well, I was actually going to say Asylum Films Bound. Have you? Oh, interesting. Yeah. No. Well, no, it's, it's Fifty Shades of Grey knockoff. So, yes. Kind of. I feel like they're probably all just one-upping each other at this point. So I'm, I'm. I understand that the Asylum Films knockoff is better than Fifty Shades of Grey, which is not saying much. But my understanding is that because they reversed the thing where it's the the woman is the billionaire and mm-hmm. it's like the a hot like hot reporter dude. Mm-hmm. Oh that's yeah. Hot. Anyway, whatever. So yeah, it is a Italian man and a Polish woman, and she is there not of her own free will. So I believe this is called kidnapping and sexual assault. Um, but halfway through the movie, uh, things get uh, wicked and weird, and uh, all sorts of hot and spicy, and you're treated to all sorts of sexual montages that are, I think, unsimulated based on the behaviors of the actors. This is great because it really, really finely burns down this whole idiotic Me Too movement. Because, yeah, exactly. because let me just tell you, what women really want is to be kidnapped and, and raped. Um, oh, boy. Uh, guys, we are asking for it. Oh, boy. It is, uh, <laughs> you know... I know that if this, if this, I mean, like you look at the premise of Fifty Shades of Grey or the, the premise for 365 days, days yeah. right? Of Grey. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I know that's going to move like a lot of Harlequin romance novels. Oh, yeah. Like, there going to be all kinds of baskets full of stuff. For oh, a yeah. While. Baskets of romance, like all day long. Oh, yeah. Baskets so it's, full it's of the, like. It's number one on Netflix right now. Yeah, it's up there. Really? Yeah. It's yeah. Weird. It's, uh, what happened to Fuller's Lava? <laughs> Oh, What's we know. Ne- oh, Josh, go ahead. That was. It's a game show. It's kind of like, uh, what was that? Wipeout, where people fall into water, mm-hmm. except it's the sets are designed like rooms and you have to jump from object to object. And the floor is like this simulated lava that you can fall into. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's neat. I like it. That's cool. But the. It's all, it's all about the casting because you get to know the contestants. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the contestants we watched in that one episode were just dickheads. They, well, they, they I had a, them to die. They, <laughs> they had a, a, a set of triplets that, like, that were like none of them had ever been laid without holding the other's hand kind of a situation oh, yeah. where they were, they were like too close and they were all slipping into like weird Boston accents to be like, hey, now listen here, you know, like, like <laughs> jeering at each other and like, I was like, they're trying to get their comedy trio yeah, they're, they're off the to, ground. They're trying to establish themselves as characters. Oh, yeah, no. uh, it, it felt like an audition, like the no. worst. Right. Um, while they fell into like viscous orange water. 
<laughs> Not the time and place guy. So is 365 Days is a series or is it just one movie? Or? It's a single film. It was oh. written by a woman, so it's all okay. This is... Geez. <laughs> It's all fine now. Yep. <laughs> this so is fine. No problems this whatsoever. Totally fine. But yeah, there's all sorts of weird shit. I mean, it's like, so yeah, the, the sex is the sex is hot. Um, uh, so that that was a strange experience to laugh at the movie and then all of a sudden be like, oh, this is two attractive people having sex that seems very real. But uh, there was a montage, a sex montage where they were on a giant yacht and they like made sure to cut a scene of them having sex on every square inch of the yacht, you know, so it's like... Sex very, montage! Yeah. Um, there you go. There's a great stunt scene where he knocks her over the edge of the yacht and they have a stunt double jump over the edge. Um, there's not one shopping montage, but three. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> <laughs> like every 30 minutes, they're like, what are you I don't know. For? Uh, nice clothes. Oh, okay. Dresses. All right, that kind of shopping. Fun shopping. Like, like pretty woman. Yes, and a ladies' night. So there was three shopping montages. Ladies' night. Three three ah! shopping montages and a ladies' night. So there's four montages of like, I don't know what women like to do, shop and like get massages with each other. Okay, like I don't want to brag, but like he just like took me out of a parking lot and has just been paying for everything and all I have to do is constantly suck his dick. Yes, that's exactly. It's great, ladies. That's exactly, exactly the movie. So, and uh, scene five, <laughs> five stars in my heart, half a star in Letterboxd. <laughs> I like the honesty. Uh, that's cool. That's cool. So that's been me. All right, Josh. Well, how have you been? What have you been watching? Uh, I've been watching um, a few things um, since the last episode that we recorded. I did start a Letterbox account. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Wait, wait. Let us break, break. Uh, yeah, so just Josh Spaceman at Letterbox, and uh, I've been having fun uh, reviewing the hits and writing reviews and reading other people's reviews. Your reviews are really good. Oh, thanks, I'm they're, trying. They're very, they're very yeah. funny. Yeah, I'm trying to. Some Succinct. some of them are like they're they're serious movies or like they're serious enough to where I have no like good joke to make. Mm-hmm. So I just try to give it like a semi serious review. <laughs> other ones, the jokes kind of write themselves. So it's fun. How's your review for Schindler's List? Oh boy. (laughs) I haven't gotten there yet. Man. Why does the little girl have a red shirt? Took me out of the movie. (laughs) Half star. (laughs) Go back to your mansion, hack. (laughs) Jeez. Well, your written reviews are so good that I'm intimidated. You're going to become letterbox famous and quit the podcast because you're too good for us. I was thinking that too. Whatever. There's the likelihood of you becoming letterbox famous, I think. There's no chance of that happening. It's not. No, I. Well, okay. Hang on a second. Worst case scenario. What happens to letterbox famous people? They get like Lamborghinis and they do all the drugs well, in a couple of years. So, so a friend, because uh, <laughs> that's how much that's the fabulous lifestyle of letterbox famous reviewers. Uh, no, I, I had a I had a high school friend of mine who started his own um, movie blog and then was picked up by uh, some major major folks in San that's Francisco. Cool. So now he's a professional reviewer. Yeah. Who does, Tell you what. who does interviews all the time. Keep going. Since you don't know your own talent, I'll be your manager. Oh. I'll take 10% off the top of anything you got. Okay? Take 12, Brady. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I believe they call them points. So right, I'll take points, 12 points. 12, 12 points, points. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, so let's see. Um, I think the first, because we're specifically, we've watched recently, we watched, uh, we just watched Escape from LA. Yep. Uh, we watched oh, yeah. Pi. 
Blast from the Past. Yes. Uh, we watched... <laughs> I don't know if that's what I would call that movie. You're more like, more like a hold to the head. It's. I love that movie. Yeah, it's good. I, I absolutely love it. When I was like a teenager, I thought that was like the coolest fucking movie ever. Who knew um, that guy would go on to be one of the best directors? He's... Yeah, he's got some hits. Yeah. Um, I love him. But Stone Cold is the movie that... <laughs> did we talk oh, about Stone Cold last time? Not on the show. I don't think so. All right. No. Stone Cold is great. Uh, it's it, my first time watching it. I, it's always kind of like been er, circling the the toilet <laughs> of my brain. Uh, finally watched Stone Cold. It's fucking genius. Um, would you like to hear my letterbox review? Yes. Yes, please. Sorry, I'm just making this up as I go. No. Actually, I don't know if I want to hear it because people are going to be so impressed by your written review. There, this, yeah, I'm going yeah, to walk the beginning away of the end. Yeah. This is it. Josh throws the cell phone at our faces and then walks away. All the right. fracture is already happening. I can feel it. <laughs> Stone Cold, 1991, pre-Zubaz, pre-Big Johnson t-shirts, Brian Bosworth delivers the necessary lone wolf attitude and general disregard of fucks to play a bad boy undercover cop in a hyperbolic world of maniac outlaw bikers. Lance Henriksen turns in a solid giggling lunatic a la Harley riding Pied Piper. Yeah. There's, there's a scene, like there's a non sequitur scene where this like tattooed shaved head biker guy walks into a church during a wedding with a shotgun and blows the priest away. <laughs> yeah. Just like walks <laughs> did you watch this with him? Yes. So what did you think of Stone Cold? I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it, I thought it was hilarious. I thought the outfits yeah. were outstanding. And his pet lizard. Oh yeah, he had a lizard. Yeah. Um but I, I happen <laughs> This guy doesn't play by the rules. Yeah. I happen to think that Lance Hendrickson is an amazing actor. He oh, I just agree. does he just doesn't get cast in a lot of strong roles but oh, totally Pumpkinhead is one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. of all time and he's so good in that movie he's good in everything he was great in Hard Target uh, John Williams. oh shit yes. Hard Target yes. I haven't seen that he was, he was fun in Near Dark but he's yes. basically playing the same role in yes. Near Dark as he was in Stone Cold right or he's like the uh, leader of the gang bad the guy sh- it shows you Josh's letterbox genius because if I would have written that review I would have been like I don't know Lance Hendrickson's in it four stars <laughs> It's, I just it to me it seems like Brian Bosworth had a moment maybe with this movie or maybe other movies where like he could have been like a like a movie star. Brian Bosworth seems like he is a neck with legs yeah. attached to it. Yeah. Um he's got like a sort he's like he's like a beautiful caveman. Yeah. You're right. Just with his like flowing lock, mullet. Yeah. Yeah, his, his bitch and mullet. Mhm. Now, I can't remember. I don't want to turn this into an NFL, uh, which is short for National Football League podcast. <laughs> but uh, uh, the Boz, I think, played around the same time as Howie Long. That's and right. uh, I believe that Howie Long probably had a better career. He than, definitely got better casting, for sure. Yeah. What, what was he in? The he Rock. Was, he was in the Broken Arrow. Wait, was he in The Rock? He was in The Rock. He yeah. was also in Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. Was he in Con Air? Mm, I don't remember. Don't send us your corrections, people. We can look, yeah, we can look I don't know. stuff up. Anyway, Howie Long just seems like he's better. <laughs> I don't know. Does anyone remember? I, like, I haven't. I don't think I've watched any of those movies. I'm just saying, like, the only thing that's coming to mind is that I must have been watching, like, All Dogs Go to Heaven on repeat <laughs> for, like, years. And I was like, I don't know what to watch. We're going to do this again. <laughs> I feel like crying at an animation. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah, the guy who did... Uh, uh, Stone Cold also did one of another one of my favorite movies that I have yet to review on Letterboxd uh, called I Come in Peace. Also known oh, as Dark Angel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good I Come in Peace. I Come in Peace. That's a good one. Mm, but you go in pieces. What, uh, what's the one with the naked vampires? 
Naked Crystal Vampires. Oh, that's uh, Life Force. That's really good. Yeah, Life Force. Ah. I've seen that one. Oh, Dark Angel with Dolph. Dolph. Yeah, Dolph Lundgren. Dolph yeah, Lundgren. it's about the Our drug boy. dealers from outer space that have little needles that suck the endorphins <laughs> out of your brain. Mm-hmm. And they, they kill each other with compact discs. They're like throwing CDs at each other that are like, at that point, CDs are like futuristic technology. Like they're brand new. Mm-hmm. I was so very drunk when we watched this movie. Like spinning like <laughs> razors. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. It's fun. You guys and remember Mini... You guys remember mini discs? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, never had them, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, my friend, my childhood friend, her father was a real asshole, and he, uh, he was, <laughs> he was always up on the technology, and was first super first in line all the time, and was like a bitch about it. And he had a mini disc player in their Jeep, but like the Jeep kept making it skip. Well, yeah, and then like mini disc players were like obsolete in like Aww. another year, sure. and I was like, "Fuck you, Bob." <laughs> <laughs> So you like walk in with like the New York Times with the headlines that says mini discs are obsolete and you like yeah. bang on the window. I just spray paint Napster on their garage yeah. door. <laughs> you guys remember laser discs? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like the laser oh, yeah. discs? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're pretty cool because like, you know, growing up it was like you had beta, then VHS and then laser disc and my friends or my parents' friends had it and it was like, oh, this is really cool. And then once I found out you had to flip the disc halfway through the movie, I was like, hmm, I'll take the cool. lower. Yeah. yeah, I'll take the lower quality. When I used to volunteer <laughs> at the library, I was responsible for the laser disc section at the library. <laughs> I was volunteering. At. <laughs> is this Jimmy Stewart talking or is this? Uh, I'm just, you know, flexing a little bit. So <laughs> I saw a Rocky Horror Picture Show was the first laser disc movie I had ever had or ever had uh, ever watched. Oh, okay. And was disappointed twice. So. <laughs> After you flipped it over, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Movie's over. Oh, and, and trying to think what, I, what my god, I don't know that I ever actually watched the movie on Laserdisc, even working at the library. Yeah, yeah. But they had they had all the hits basically, none of like the real juicy stuff, but everything that it was all like major releases. Oh, so you're like record collectors that buy all sorts of vinyl and don't actually listen to the records. Yeah. Now we're gonna have to take a break for a moment because. Josh has to feed the cats or else they're going to get real weird. Okay. Oh, it is that time. Wow, yeah. look at that. Okay. okay. Getting weird. It's getting weird. How's your week been, Allison? What are you up to? What are you watching these days? Oh, it's been good. It's been good. I've been trying to watch um, more things when you're you're not home because I feel like if I'm not playing Stardew Valley, I'm not, um, I'm like cleaning or I'm doing schoolwork. I thought you were going to say if I'm not playing Stardew, I'm not living. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's my escape. It's my two other lives. I started a new Stardew game, which I don't know if I mentioned, but now I've got two lives going virtually. But I've been trying. Uh, I watched my friend Dahmer, which was oh yeah, which was all right, all right. Now yeah. the conceit on this one is that it's when, he, when he's younger before he became a killer. yeah. This is like everything right up until his first murder. Now yeah. remind me where he grew up. Was he the Minnesota guy? Milwaukee. Right? Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Milwaukee. Uh, but he, you know, just like a weirdo, weirdo kid with weird hobbies and his family, family life was just falling apart. So not class president. Well, they tried that. So these guys, these like four guys in his high school were like, wow, Dahmer's fucking weird. Let's get him to do weird stuff. And they got him to pose in all of like the, um, club photos for the high school yearbook. So Dahmer is featured in all the clubs in their high school. He's just like lurking in the back, not smiling. And so, so they used to play these pranks on everybody in their high school using Dahmer because he would act out. And Dahmer just thought like, oh, I have friends now. Not realizing. That they're just using So him. it's kind of like Carrie. 
yeah. from the movie Carrie. Yeah. All right. So, so you know, you feel bad for him, but it's also, it's like, it's hard to feel bad for him because you're like, well, you like drilled a hole in someone's brain and filled it with hot water so you could lobotomize them and then fuck them and then eat them. Wow. Light stuff. Um, Did he do anything in that as a teenager in high school? Was there any predilection? Yeah, he, yeah. He, he, oh, yeah. Tortured animals, right? Yeah, he tortured animals. Okay, so... Mm-hmm. That's one of the yeah, he, two or three signs, right? One of them one of them wasn't that abnormal. Like he really liked collecting roadkill and then using acid to break down the tissue and he would collect the bones. And so he had a shack. Um, he had a shack behind the house that was like full of animal carcasses in acid, which I didn't find to be that weird. Mm. I because like that's I did weird shit like that when I was a kid. Yeah, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like mounting bugs and taxidermy and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't find that to be too weird. But um, he starts having a fascination with a local runner. This runner, he had planned to kill him one day after an especially rough time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that day, the runner happened to not go out. So he, you know, inadvertently survived. So what was his relationship with this runner like? Was it more of a, like an, was it like an obsession thing? He, or was it like, uh, a, like a beef? Or he like, was, was no, he was like sexually attracted to him. Oh, but see. also you kind of mildly see this introduction of like um, sexuality and... Uh, and killing, and also like Dahmer. Dahmer couldn't kill unless he was like pissed drunk. Oh, interesting. And uh, so you see him like in the introduction of drinking, and him starting to drink a lot, and then the behavior with abusing animals and killing animals starts to have an uptake. And then he—that's when he starts to kind of get the gusto, like he needs to, mm. he needs to move on and go to the next, next thing. So, yeah. And then I watched uh, what like the taking of Deborah. Yeah, the, the snake uh, possession uh, one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I walked in at various like like choice moments of this movie. I try not to watch these things when Josh is home. Because you're worried you'll be judged or because you want to save his virgin eyes from being sullied? Both. By your filth. It's it's both. Uh. Yeah, it's both. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I can pause this and we can come back later. And he's like, no, 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 it's okay. And I'm like, well, I, I'm pretty sure it's going to get real weird. <laughs> <I'm> like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was the taking of Deborah. Oh, shit, where is it? I love how uh, like this is such a good like like Rorschach test where Josh is like they shot CDs at him and you're like oh this is horrific like the deep depths of despair of humanity and what they can do. Like, try to- <laughs> <laughs> it is. You're exactly. It right. is. Yeah. It was the taking of Deborah Logan and it's about an old older woman who is a. Uh, starting to have like severe symptoms of Alzheimer's mm. or she's possessed by a snake man, like a, like a snake practitioner uh, who needed three young women who were virgins, who were just getting their periods for the first time to cur- to complete the ritual of being eternal. And the old lady basically starts to take on snakish qualities. Oh yeah. She, oh, yeah. Cool. That's the fun part. Yeah. Oh, cool. There's a scene where it's like your spoiler alert, but there's a scene where you're not like she takes a child and is like gonna go complete this ritual. Yeah. And like you you're like, okay, like I'm not I'm expecting to see some kind of like weird satanic ritual, but like yeah. they turn a corner and flash a light on her. And it's like a it's like a found footage, like docu docu style. But it's just her like with her mouth unhinged like a snake, like herking down this like t- <laughs> like 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 thirteen year old girl just like ah like <laughs> like a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> See how it's all coming together here? It's all coming back around? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Sounds like Deborah Logan is the throat goat. (laughs) What happens if we Google throat goat? I do not. Well, you know, goat is like greatest of all time. Oh. So that's that's what the goat means in sports terminology. Oh, okay. Well. So, you know, I'm just going to sully Brady's laptop It's going to be Sasha Gray. It's going to be Sasha Gray. I bet it's Sasha Gray. Throat goat. (sighs) 
Sasha Gray? <laughs> uh, let's see. It looks like it's a video. No, there's a there's a song. It's a song uh, by an artist named Q. Oh, okay. But uh, Urban Dictionary. I know. Oh, Urban Dictionary says that the throat goat is the title you give someone that gives you the best oral sex you've ever had in your yeah! life. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Came from the bottom like a nigga on the first floor. Been a dog nigga ever since I fucked my first hoe. Ran out with your baby mama, nigga, she the throat go. Know they hate to see me, y'all. Tell me, son, I don't know. Look at me now, nigga. Look at me now, yeah. Look at me now, nigga. Hey, look at me now. Look at me now, nigga. Look at me now, yeah. Look at me now, nigga. Look at me now. Came from the bottom like a nigga in the so it came from the bottom like Drake and then production like Future and Young Thug. Next. Wow. Whoa. Well, <laughs> Dis and dismiss. Well, on that. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here with that shit. On, well, let's just, uh, on the throat goat note, <laughs> let's get into our next movie. What'd you tell him? What did I tell him? I told him I was here to see the, the, the plane crash. That's my job. Good. There was no plane crash. Spacecraft. But that was a report about a possible encounter with an alien being. You want to come with me? You are the human contact team that was recommended in the Goodman report. We have a biochemist to assess the physiology of the unknown life form. We have a mathematician, because that'll probably be our common language. And we have an astrophysicist to locate its place in the cosmos. Try to relax. So you're saying that you have a fuselage from a spacecraft over a half a mile long that crashed into the ocean 300 years ago and is completely intact? That's right. All right, you guys. So when psychologist Norman Goodman, played by Dustin Hoffman, wrote a report for the government on how to deal with extraterrestrial life forces, he didn't really expect his recommendations to actually be used. Now that a secret government agency is investigating what may be an alien spaceship that has been discovered partially buried on the floor of the Pacific Ocean, Norman finds that the plan he outlined is being put into effect and the team he named in his report is being assembled. Yas. I knew this movie was going to be a treat the moment the credits opened because those credits were a goddamn, oh, like, there was like five minutes long or something. It was mm -hmm. like... But they're also pretty terrible. <laughs> oh, totally, totally terrible. I think that the the credit sequence is in itself a microcosm of the movie, and that it lacks of any imagination. And what do they do with the credits? They wrap them around a sphere, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a half speed. So it's like, okay, when it opened up, it was like, oh, this is kind of clever. Uh, and then you're like, wait, they're going to do this for every single person on the crew. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Whoops. So, yeah, so I got up and uh, made myself a drink while that shit yeah. rolled. For right. 15 minutes. And then, of course, there was uh, pirate treasure or some sort of pirate iconography oh, yeah, you're right. in yeah, the background. Yeah, there was like the sort of like an old <laughs> like an old Tales of the Sea, like, you know, like wood wood plate, like Kraken. I absolutely mermaids. must have blacked out. <laughs> that like, has nothing to do. Legends of the Sea. I, I think they're kind of trying to do like a uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea thing. Yes. I think that's what that was. But it wasn't from 20,000 Leagues in the Sea. It's just like some old uh, map off the wall at a Long John Silver's like, put into a movie title sequence. They've was, got was some good-ass fish and chips, though. This is such a great time of cinema, right? Because it's like mid-90s where 
it's like we have a computer. Let's throw a computer at it. So it's like I don't know. Let's use you, it. You to can do see they're, no, they're, yeah. They're rolling it, and we watched that thing earlier. And I'm I'm sorry, I'm not going to speak for you on this, but the we you can see that the visual effects guy is really excited about all the things that he gets to do with the computer, and you can see that they are as an as an industry, at least as this guy was talking yeah. about visual effects. He is accelerating towards CG everything. Yes, I, he was he was advocating for it in a very very big way. I feel like this film probably for its time had some of the most CGI used. I mean, they were, yeah. they went to Mare Island in Vallejo, uh, which, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I was like, I grew up in the town right over. Um, and What's I do that town's name. Benicia. So I was, we, I was saying earlier that you, but the Zodiac killer was in Benicia too. And no one ever fucking talks about that. And every time I'm listening to something about the Zodiac Killer, I'm on the edge of my fucking seat waiting for them to be like, oh, yeah, so he was on Lake Herman Road, which connects Vallejo to a small town in, you know, Benicia. And I, if that happened, I'd freak out. But it never happens. I'm going to say it. Zodiac Killer was in Benicia, too, motherfuckers. Wait, so... You heard Zodiac- it here first, folks. <laughs> Zodiac's one of my favorite movies of all time. Are you suggesting that even David Fincher, with his accuracy, didn't name drop your town? It's because Lake Herman Road is like, the, it's like the border of it. It's like, it like it goes around the backside and it's dumb, but it goes through Benicia and they don't ever fucking mention it. It's always Vallejo. They always so steal. We, we've been friends for a few years and I think this is the most upset I've ever seen you. They never say Benicia. <laughs> so did Zodiac kill anybody like in the limits of the city? He killed someone on Lake Herman Road. Okay. And that's, that's Benicia. More in, well, it's more in Vallejo. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, so so all you really want is to be connected to the crime that took place in Vallejo. <laughs> I am so sorry. I shouldn't say it like that. So upset right now. I'm so upset. I'm sweating right now. My hands are sweating. Stress sweats. Stress sweats going back. Well, okay, so they. So yeah, it was filmed on a naval base. It was filmed on a naval base in Mare Island, um, uh, which had been. Uh, basically decommissioned the year before. Um, they were looking at different places like Treasure Island, things like that. Um, I think uh, Alameda, but Maybe. all these places were um, kind of in active use and they, it would have interrupted with uh, the filming schedule. So they got lucky, uh, went to Mare Island. They set up three enormous sound stages and then had a had a swimming pool and like a huge tank that they set up these shots for. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the abyss, all the diver or all the actors had to be certified divers. Um, they went through a pretty rigorous training, but unlike the abyss, it was a lot easier. <laughs> and they weren't forty feet below the and surface. A, and a huge soundstage, yeah. With, like realistic, accurate props and like working submarines. Yeah. I'm also I, I I didn't realize this, but for some reason in my brain I thought that they were in like uh, an old abandoned power plant as well, which is obviously no duh, it wasn't. So what what was the building instead? Uh, it was a naval base, so I don't okay. I don't know specifically what was they have there, but like a like a a submarine pen or something like that. No, it was I think it was for ships. I mean, so it's so, uh, it like, so it was a shipyard. Yeah, like so a, I think I I'll, I'll look it up, but it, it's on the Carquinas Straits, and that's where that's where I grew up, mm-hmm. and it's uh it's kind of this connection between um the Pacific Ocean and the inlet going into kind of the the northeast part of the Bay Area, mm-hmm. um where all the rivers are dumping out from Northern California and whatnot. And that's where the estuaries kind of connect and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there are a ton of shipyards running through that. They have the mothball fleet that's out there where it's a bunch of retired World War II ships that are just kind of like chilling out there. They've got, oh, there's a huge oil company there. Doesn't matter. But anyway. Whaling, Yutani. Huh? Never mind. 
<laughs> Josh keeps throwing out these 80s movies references. What? Hey. That's all I can do. Uh, That's all I'm good for. So they filmed this thing in Vallejo. Yes, they filmed which is in Vallejo. Right and I, sort of Benicia. I remember when they were filming it too. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. I was probably in like fifth or sixth grade. How old were you, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> How many episodes into this show have we oh, finally boy. added this? Oh, boy. Oh, geez. <laughs> Fifth grade, you said? Yes. So I was um, I was in uh, 13th grade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love how Austin just turned to me with the most devious smile. <laughs> All right. <sighs> oh, All right, guys. So... It was directed and produced by Barry Levinson, uh, based on the nineteen uh, based on the nineteen eighty seven book by My- Michael Crichton of the same name. The budget was estimated to be eighty million dollars. See, this is what I'm talking about when we talk about like Stuart Gordon making space truckers for twenty five million dollars. It's mm-hmm. like, like yeah, he did it for twenty five million dollars, but that's like a fifty million dollar plot that he's trying to shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Barry Levinson, you know, with like all of the A list talent that he he has for this movie. Like, of course, he's going to get a budget like eighty million dollars to shoot this thing. Well, I mean, there were there were multiple threats that it was going over budget, so I think they 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 shut it down for a while, and that's when he went on to go make Wag the Dog. Oh, really? Uh huh. Interesting. He and Dustin Hoffman like went off and made another movie and then made came back. Movie. Yeah. Then oh, interesting. Make it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's got to be. Uh, speaking of people making other movies, uh, on the commentary, Sam Jackson, as I like to call him, or Samuel L. Jackson for the listeners, uh, <laughs> he was making Jackie Brown at the exact same time. So he'd right. shoot this for four days and three days, Jackie Brown. So he said that the the car ride from the airport to the shoot was helpful because it was two hours to allow him to get out of his Jackie Brown character mm. and into the mode. It's like, oh, buddy, like... Where were they filming Jackie Brown? Um, you got to think like Southern California somewhere, right? I don't know. Two, I don't, don't want to talk out of my ass too much. But uh-huh. Because there, there's scenes of them in a beach house mm. in Jackie Brown. So I Well, was they've saying, all brought the intensity of their acting as if they're on vacation. So... <laughs> You know, if they were just like filming other movies, then like, oh yeah, I'm also working on this other project. Well, in that same year, same year, Sharon Stone was nominated for a Golden Globe for The Mighty. And then a couple years prior to that, she was nominated for an Oscar for Casino. So you got a bunch of hippie hitters walking into this thing. You do. You do. Which one's The Mighty? I I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. I mean, her her role in Casino was amazing. Yes. Like uh, she killed it. She did kill it. And all of these actors are are killers. You know, they're all, they've all got like multiple moments. In, insanely talented. Yeah. Where they've crushed it. I actually, I think that, um, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that bad of a movie. I think, I think the, uh, the plot isn't translated well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it falls, it falls kind of like translated yeah. from the book. You yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you read the book? I did not read the book. Mm. That's my impression mm-hmm. is, uh, it just wasn't, um, translated very well to give the, um, uh, suspense and intensity of uh having having this team come together to go investigate an uh, submerged underwater unidentified craft they go down there find out that the craft is american basically mm-hmm. from the future and i feel like that's such a cool like yeah. what that's fucking awesome yeah. and then they you know they go in and they find the flight data which is terrifying you, there's a black hole that's maybe involved or a wormhole that's involved and then they find the sphere yeah which is this its own entity it's very much alive 
They don't really know what it does. They don't know what it means. And it's so cool. And uh, I can I can even like forgive like some of the CGI because there's there's parts mm-hmm. of it that are obviously CGI. But I think even for 1998, it was still really well done. It was still like tastefully done mm-hmm. and not like the Mummy Two done. <laughs> that was a very specific movie that just came out of your mouth. No, she's dead right. No, Mummy Two is the Mummy Two is, is like yeah. The with mummy, Brendan Fraser. Yes. The if you I, the one with the rock in it. Yeah. As the scorpion king. The, the mummy two is like the the golden child of terrible CGI. It's like the it the, is the it is the jumping shark point of like the overreach of CGI. Yes. Where we have these ambitions and we're gonna like strive towards, yes. but we are not even getting close. Yes. I didn't realize this inflection point existed. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it's like if if you're gonna go real bad and like if Jurassic Park is like real, real hot and good, mm-hmm. the mummy two is just a dumpster fire for CGI. <laughs> it's like sub <laughs> Sub PlayStation is <laughs> it's it's horrible. And I, you know, I'm sure like the the visual effects team was working their ass off. I don't doubt that, but they they were probably just stretched really thin because of the number of effects they were producing. Well, also like I feel like there were a lot of effects companies at the time that probably don't exist anymore. But like you know, in the mid '90s, having like oh yeah, we're like Scarlet Wave effects company <laughs> so <laughs> like coming into like a, a little tiny bit about this actually. Oh yeah. So most of the, when you watch a movie, right? Like from the, from the late nineties, for example, that has a bunch of these visual effects shots. Mm-hmm. Usually there's one big house that is basically responsible for all the content and they do all the compositing and they all put it all together. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're the ones that assemble everything. But underneath that house, they have essentially like an army of subcontractors and they all get their little assignment and they have one assignment to do and they have all the specs and like the resolution and what it's, what are they trying to build? And they're basically building a CG model of one object. Like, mm-hmm. so let's say it's a, it's a squid or it's a submarine. It's a little underwater base thing. It's like a coral right. reef. That's their one thing that they're responsible for. And then they all come together. All the assets are compiled at the big house and then they all get put together and that's what you actually see. Yep. So all these little companies that totally jives. One of my industrial design professors back when I was in school was one of these people and he worked on League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Whoa. doing uh, a couple of like background buildings that got blown up in one scene. Whoa. <laughs> that was his contribution. But he done he had done that because he knew the software and he was able to contribute his one little chunk to like the big pizza pie of CG that gets thrown into the movie. Did he get it? Oh. Did he get one of those like bulk credits at the end? Probably. Nice. That's such a good. I mean, that's totally the way software is. Is like you're kicking your own ass to get all sorts of little details right, right? And you're paid to like look through every single failure case, edge case, and then you like look up from what you're doing, and you're like, wait, I'm just working on the left tentacle of the squid, and it's really hard to like go from that specificity of the technical work that you're doing, and then like the bigger vision. So it's uh, it's a lot of money. It's yeah. a lot of orchestration of people. Yeah. Although I should point out. One of my major disappointments with Sphere overall, and there are there are quite a few disappointments with Sphere, <laughs> is that we're talking about the left tentacle of the squid. Squid, you never get to fucking see. Uh, yeah, that's you, true. You get to see like a, a sonar or like a radar like image of like, of like a, a big squid shape, blob, a squid shape coming at you, and then they do like the Star Trek thing where like the the ship. It gets like hit with a photon torpedo and everyone mm-hmm. shakes a little bit. Yeah. Yes. And that's that's how the squid attack works. It's like, oh no, we're under attack. Well, okay. Shake so the camera. With the like uh, balloons that are supposed to be the alien eggs that just they yeah. just kind of drop down and float. Well, that, so that brings us to the main character, Jerry. Jerry. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> if you were going to say Dustin Hoffman, I was going to reach across <laughs> and punch you across, <laughs> across the face. Uh, so, so the team discover, they go inside, they discover the sphere. 
And then now they're getting inundated with a binary code, which through the the, math, the mathematician is able to translate and they meet Jerry. They were able to quickly pass through some logical hoops to figure out the whole translation means. Like I can see like... The, well, like, so actually that ends up being a plot hole, but I'll talk about it later. So, okay. Right, so right. there's lots of really interesting things going on at this point, right? So Jerry's introduced at one hour and 42 seconds in. I'm not suggesting that I actually wrote down Jerry's introduction, but I just happened to know the time, which is that not only do you have this interesting concept, but you have like the intro to a really great bar joke, which is like, hey, an astrophysicist, a mathematician, a marine biologist, and a psychiatrist walk into a bar, right? <laughs> so it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's a perfect setup for like, okay, what are they going to use all of their amazing skills to solve? And it's like, Sam Jackson comes in, he's like, no, I got this. Let's just convert it to binary and uh, wrap flip. it around a sphere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, that's as far as they went with uh, their skills. It was very thin, thin veneer. But had, had Samuel L. Jackson been inside the sphere at this point? Who knows? Uh, we don't know. So maybe he was given the knowledge to translate it? What is time, Allison? I mean, we watched this movie in linear format and he probably technically stepped into the sphere after this point. But this film is insinuating a black hole of time, which means that he could have stepped into the sphere. <sighs> time is a flat circle. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> You picked this movie. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're responsible for this aquatic bad boy. <laughs> no, I think he had not stepped into the... I don't think he had stepped into it yet in the movie. No, I gotta know. Okay. No, he had to have. He ha- yeah. Because the Jerry oh, character... God. Yes. Yes. His product of his... Yes. Imagination. Like imagination or his ego or his, yeah. his subconscious yeah. or whatever we're calling it now. The characters can... Deductive logic. One by one, these characters enter the sphere for different reasons. Secret. Secretly. Spoiler alert. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson enters the sphere out of curiosity. Dustin Hoffman enters the sphere trying to rescue Samuel L. Jackson. And then Sharon Stone enters the sphere <laughs> despite the guys. <laughs> so, Sounds about right. <laughs> despite Dustin Hoffman, who you find out Dustin Hoffman in, in his days of being a professor, Sharon Stone with a, with a former student and they had, they had an affair. Patient. Oh, former patient. Which by the way, uh, she, her character caused me to go down the history of female hysteria. I was falling down yes. Wikipedia articles of like French women in the late 1800s being like straightjacketed. Where it, and it's literally, it's literally like it, it would be like a like a woman like uh like your wife and myself, where it's like we just thought of a joke at the right time or have an opinion about something, and they're like, "Shut up, woman, she's hysterical," and they like sent her away. So you know, it's just full. Like the the asylum was full of like schizophrenic and then like very very intelligent angry women that were just all fisting each other. <laughs> Welcome to Fist City. <laughs> you know, we're on something for a dystopian sci-fi movie. <laughs> it it drives me crazy. The, the whole gaslighting scene was yeah. very upsetting for me. Yeah, it pissed me off so much. Yeah, you can see like how God. much they're teaming up on her. There's a there's a, yeah, there's a scene where they're, they've all been in the sphere. They're starting to experience... Uh, the sphere has an ability to have you experience whatever you're imagining. And so because they're... Manifestations. Manifestations. So because they're all concerned... Oh, that's a plot hole too. Yes, it is. But because they're all concerned and they're having this high anxiety be, about being trapped underwater, uh, these, uh, these fears start showing up. So Sharon Stone fears that there's no food. So she can't see food. Oh, that's right. Samuel Jackson is reading 20,000 Leagues in the Sea. There starts to be a squid appearing. 
certain yep. certain anomalies that happen in the book are happening around the uh, habitat capsule. Dustin Hoffman has a fear of sea snakes, oh, yeah. so he starts getting attacked by sea snakes all the time. And a fear of women. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's this whole scene when Sharon Stone leaves to try and go find food and she comes back and they're like, there's food. They're starting to scream at her. The gaslighting is so hard that I'm getting very upset at home. I'm like, this is bullshit. Yeah. And they never say sorry, which is how gaslighting works. I got really upset about it. Triggered. Hashtag triggered. But, uh, (laughs) Brady looks like he's going to die. Oh, this is great. (sighs) So they it ends up it ends up being this now there's now there's this whole game. Sharon Stone's getting gaslit, Dustin Hoffman's being gaslit. Samuel Jackson is just sleeping the whole time. Can't get past page eighty two. Or whatever it is. Eighty four yeah. of the book. He's, he's so too, hilarious, by the way. He, okay, he, he doesn't give he, a shit. He's like, Yeah, Barry Levinson had, like shot me in different angles, just like sleeping, and he's like, I just tried rolling my eyes around with my eyes closed is in different forms. And yeah, he he had a delight delightful time. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. He didn't get trapped in like check. he didn't get trapped in like a room <laughs> filling with water and crack his head open. And he got to meet two of his heroes. Who were his heroes? Uh, Sharon Stone and Dustin Hoffman. He was very gracious on the commentary track. Really? Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. that's sweet. That's cool. That's he cool. knew what movie he was in. Let's just say Dustin Hoffman on the commentary. Like he opens the movie and, uh, and was like, uh, and is like, "Hey, this is Dustin Hoffman. Thank you for watching this fear. I did not enjoy making this movie." <laughs> he well no he he uh, he was upset about the release he felt like the movie wasn't ready to be released oh, oh really oh, yeah. yeah you he, should hear his commentary track it oh is, really it is brutal oh it is What's, brutal like what is he's he's about? like he's like up to this point Barry and I had worked on we had worked on Rain Man Wag the Dog and uh, what's the third movie Tootsie. Tootsie. And was it Sleepers? Was he in Sleepers? He was in yeah, Sleepers. Yeah, he was. He yeah, was. so it was, it was Rain Man, Sleepers, Wag the Dog, and then Sphere. So he's like, oh, you know, Barry and I we had so much fun. We didn't have much fun on this movie. <laughs> I, yeah, he, he, the only reason he did the movie is because Barry was directing it. Yeah. And, uh, you he know. He had great disdain for staring at a green screen. He had great disdain for wearing the scuba well, gear. Well, he's—I mean—he's old school. Yes, he's so—he's so old school, and to like to be staring and like yelling at a green screen for like sixty yeah. percent of the film. I actually respect him. Like the way the, he, the joking aside, he came across on the commentary track as uncomfortable. Like that's the most gracious way I can put it. Where yeah. he's just like, I was uncomfortable. This wasn't an easy experience for me. I felt like I, the things that I like to do were neutralized. And then Sam Jackson was recorded on a different commentary track and they just edited it together. And he's like, look at me. I'm just rolling around my eyes. All those books that are empty. I like put them around my house and I have guests over and they like open them up and I make I laugh at them. And so Sam Jackson's just having a a blast. I'm sure it was a very different experience. (laughs) He literally slept the whole movie. (laughs) Anyway, sorry to mean to interrupt. No, no, no. But Barry Levinson was a writer on Tootsie. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uncredited. That's how they, yeah. Uncredited. That's how they first met. Nice. Super cute. Okay. True, false, guys. Uh, true. All right. <laughs> you ready? The game is true. That's why I said true. <laughs> Let's go. The sea, the sea snake that attacks Dustin Hoffman was designed by a member of a new metal band, Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park came by a member. Yeah. By a, a member, member of the new band. Yeah. That seems hyper specific. <laughs> You're devious. This is false. I'm going to go with true because I want it to be true. It is true. What? Yes. Yeah. It was uh, in the end. 
Joseph Han, uh, Joseph Han designed the uh, the snake that attacks Dustin Hoffman. That's awesome. In the, in the film, yeah, which which I was just thrilled that we had another new metal connection. <laughs> that's, that's cool that he did it, but he that that's, that's those snakes were weak. They looked like uh, they looked like fleshlights, if you ask me. <laughs> so they looked more like deep sea anglers. They didn't really look like sea snakes. It was yeah, you're right. You know, sea snakes are just snakes swimming around, uh, but those things they look like fish. It did. It looked like an upset angler fish. That was yeah, yeah. And just kind of like just kind of like just tapping, tapping on the. If it's your phobia, that'd be terrifying. Oh yeah, or cute. Have this animal just trying to kill you. Adorably. I think you're diminishing Joe Hahn's work as the only DJ of Lincoln Park. So he, he is the DJ. He's not just a member of the band. So oh, I'm don't, sorry. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to go. From. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so hot right now. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so this movie, th- it throws you off the scent, right? Uh, uh, about how like C grade it is because the movie starts and it's just like the abyss in a lot of ways where it's like, okay, you have these like rapscallions going, you know, this motley crew. Oh, these are, going. this is not a motley crew. This is a very highly educated, specialized crew. It can still be motley regardless but there of their is, economic But there status. is sex between crewmates involved. <laughs> Fouled relationships. Yeah. And so the, the opening scenes, uh, they have this, the mini sub go down to the habitat, which is the name of the underwater ba- base. And they have like the attention to detail with like the helium, which by the way, the abyss, they talked about using that in the abyss for the decompression yeah. and decided not to because they're like, oh, it'd be too funny. But I thought it was a, it was a fun touch. It was like yeah, a really yeah. cool. Was, yeah. They were trying to like bring it realistic. The fact that you even mentioned like the exotic breathing environment, the exotic gas yeah. breathing environment. Yeah. 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 So having seen the abyss first and then sphere second, it was like, okay, <clears throat> there's some similarities here. Like you could see it was like underwater shooting, mm-hmm. you know, like the attention to detail was actually pretty good. They actually learned from the abyss's mistake to not chlorinate the water. So, uh, so they used a, an ozone filtration system. So it'd be way easier on the crew members and uh, the actors. Snow nice. bleach. Yeah. They getting scorched. They weren't like, yeah, they weren't like burning their skin. Or fading the costumes. Yeah. Since you bring it up, I I remember watching this and uh, like whenever that was, like a week or two ago, and just being really annoyed at the mini submarine trip when they're all in the submarine going down <laughs> to the habitat. I was super pissed off about it. Not super pissed off. Not oh, really pissed no. off. I was a little bit excited. Josh was not. Because... First of all, it looks like <laughs> they filmed it in the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride at Disneyland. That mm-hmm. looks like the submarine sure. that they're in because it, it just had that kind of like old steampunky sort of look to it on the inside. Great ride. Great movie. <laughs> Go on. Absolutely. Uh, number two is the submarine has windows. And <laughs> submarines don't need windows unless you're going to like blow some bubbles by them to show that you're moving through water. That's the only thing they're really good for. <laughs> And uh, number three is that if you're going to put windows on a submarine, which I mostly advise that you don't, uh, they wouldn't be square because of the the pressure, the, the, the shape of a square window is going to be inherently weaker than a round window. And it's going to be more subject to failure. He was really upset about it. I, it really bugged me. The yeah. fact that that kind of detail went through multiple stages where some some guy on the, the prop master team or the, the crew building this thing was building this without any like notion of like would a submarine have windows well, sure. and so, so all that kind of stuff. Other, they tried square windows on airplanes, by the way, and those airplanes crashed. <laughs> <laughs> True fact. Look it up. Buttercup. So 
Well, with that, with other plot holes. So, so again, we were talking about when people are going into the sphere, they're kind of given this gift to manifest their desires. Right. So we find we we do find out that the sphere is a gift from an alien culture. A gift or a curse. And yeah, yes, a gift or a curse. And um, the future future <laughs> generations realize that it is they are not prepared and they are not ready to have a, to have something like this because we are inherently brutish and violent as a culture and we are creating chaos through the sphere. So they send it back in time and try to hide it. <laughs> and well, that's kind of devious. It's, yeah, it's devious, but when Dustin Hoffman, Samuel L. Jackson, Sharon Stone go into it and they meet Jerry, who's kind of infiltrating their computers... We find out through Dustin Hoffman that there was a glitch in the translation and that Jerry is supposed to be, the J is supposed to be an H, it's supposed to be Harry. We find out that Samuel Jackson is Jerry when he's sleeping in REM sleep. Now, if that were the case, the conversations would be a lot different. There'd be a lot more misspellings. It would be noticeable that it was a mistranslation. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the H's would be E's or something like that. So the entire code would be completely different. And I just thought that was kind of interesting, and I just want to bring that up, not to like, so, not to like rain on their fucking parade because I've never made a fucking movie, but like, still, we got, yeah, we, no. got we got square windows and vowels. Let's see. <laughs> let me well, let me step up to the plate on idiosyncratic. I don't uh, want to be a bitch, but <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. Well, let me let me introduce my my version of this story, which is when Sam Jackson or Sammy Jacks is uh, sleeping on his stomach. He is overtaken by Dustin Hoffman, who's like half of his size and they shoot him (laughs) full of sedative. No way. He's like half his size. They specifically said that when Dustin Hoffman did all of his dive training. I'm just advocating for Dustin. (laughs) Sweet Dustin. Dusty. <laughs> that when he was done with all of his training, which can be very exhausting, they took him out of the pool and homeboy did like a fuck ton of like chin ups. I know, but why? Because, because he was he's trying to a, find meaning. Oh, go ahead. Because he's a badass <laughs> man who has to overtake Samuel L. Jackson. Wait, wasn't at that point, wasn't Leave Shriver's character also involved? So it was like two on one holding Sam Jackson down. He had already died. So it was Sharon Stone. It was Sharon Stone. And not, it was not Barnes, not Peter Coyote's character. No, he was no, gone. He was Man, dead as well. Like, he was cut in half. Remember? Because, because <laughs> like, where's underwater hatches is, are dangerous. Okay. That is, that is. Go, Allison. Go. Listen. That is, that is a thing that happens in every space and or underwater film, which they might as well be the same thing. <laughs> it's just space underwater, but there's always a hatch scene. I believe, sorry. Last week we said space under our feet. Space. <laughs> space in our backyard. <laughs> but there, there's always a scene when someone gets crushed in half by a hatch door with the hydraulics malfunctioning or because someone hit a panic button so all the hatches are closing and they're like, you need to get out. Dolly, everyone, don't worry, I'll make it. Captain, no. Crunch. <laughs> yeah, we were watching that uh, Deep Star Six, and the same yeah. thing happened. Where like the yeah. f- out of nowhere, the little like ratcheting mechanism that's like winding the door close or open somehow like inexplicably breaks as if it's made out of like warm chocolate, and then just like cuts the guy in half. That's a great movie. I really enjoyed. That it. was an okay movie. I really liked it. <laughs> that came out the same year as, as The Abyss. That's all I'm saying. Well, okay, this Deep like Star Six huge. came out the same year as The Abyss. Mm-hmm. Really? 
Yeah. Makes sense. Big difference. In yeah, a little difference there. So what I, what sets this movie apart, I would speculate on the door cutting scene is the fact that Dustin Hoffman is talking to a computer named Jerry, who I don't know who, what, what person you were envisioning when he was talking to the computer, but I thought of Jason Alexander just because he keeps saying Jerry all the time in Seinfeld. So it was like, oh, Jason Alexander is the computer. Anyway, so Jerry's like, hey, where's Ned? Right. Peter Coyote's character. I think Ned Barnes Which or is- Ted. Ned. Ned. Something anyway. Uh, Captain, Barnes. Captain Harold Barnes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the computer Jerry's asking where he is and, and Dustin Hoffman's oh. like, oh, he got cut in half. Ted is Lee Shriver's character. Yeah. So he was the one that was cut in half. He was the one that was crushed and burned. No. Okay. So Captain Harold was severed in half by yes. the attached door. And then and then um Dr. Ted Fielding, the astrophysicist, was crushed yeah, crushed and burned. Got yeah, it. he had the thing fall on him like out yeah. of nowhere. And okay. Dustin Hoffman was in shock. <laughs> And, finger quotes and didn't help him he he just he just quote i froze uh, i just froze and i let him burst. <laughs> i do because he was cut in half and, and the computer's asking where he is he's like oh sorry he, he got cut in half by the door i was like wow that was like super direct like i don't know you want to know i, I do want to say Jerry. yeah i do want to do a shout out really quick to uh steve johnson who did the um special effects makeup for this because all of the when you do see the dead bodies like when mm-hmm. they when cl- Queen Latifah, who we have neglected to, to mention. Dana. Her real name is Dana. Oh, excuse me. Oh, yeah? I don't well, know. she's Teeny. Teeny Fletcher. And uh, she she goes out to reset their... Uh, their doomsday Their doomsday yeah, equipment. Whatever, yeah. And is attacked by her fear, which is jellyfish. No. No. She's attacked Sam by Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson's dream of jellyfish after reading about... Reading uh, 2000 Leagues. Yes, because she never went into the yes. sphere. Yes, exactly. And when we say go into the sphere, we mean float majestically across the surface as a two-dimensional picture. Yeah, with like a sinister like glare on your face. Which is pretty cool. I want to say when like Josh was talking about people drowning last week and it's like you you hold your arms out to a T and you put your head back. Being crucified. Yeah, Yeah. that's kind of like how you enter the sphere but backwards. And you you roll up and you become evil. But so all the body scenes, all the the death recovery scenes are fantastic. Especially when they're doing like the autopsies on their bodies and with Queen Latifah when they're pulling out the tentacles of of the jellyfish Mm -hmm. from her nose. Yeah. Like, oh, it was fucked up, but it was so awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turns out that uh, uh, Steve Johnson was mentored by my boy Rick Baker, and ah, his first one okay. of his first jobs was with Rob Botton. Okay, and uh, and then I got all wet in the panties nice. about it because the death, the death, the dead bodies are like outstanding. Pretty good. That's probably why you picked this movie, right? Subconsciously, you're like, I don't I, know, I love, I want the movie with the dead lady with the jellyfish. I face. just, I, I've noticed. <laughs> I have noticed with the films that I've picked, yeah, they're not very good. <laughs> However, the practical effects are on fucking par. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sorry, Can't Josh. Tell. What were you gonna say? You know what? It wasn't even connected. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm lost now. I don't know about that. I'm so sorry. So yeah, the at this point in the movie making, yeah, like the CGI stuff was starting to overtake things. Um, one of my big complaints about this movie and related to was specifically related to the special effects. There are three like major reveals in this movie in terms of like the exposition, like the sort of first half of the movie. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I would say that those first big reveals are number one, um, uh, it's a it's a big ship under the water. The size of the ship. They keep referencing that this is like a half mile long ship. That this is like this shape, and here it is. We found it on radar. Here it is. Mm-hmm. And then when they're going down in the bullshit mini sub, you get to see 
the uh, like the vertical fin or whatever of the ship underwater. So that's reveal number one. Reveal number two is they go on board, they do their initial investigation and they discover, oh, it's, it's an American ship mm-hmm. from the future. Right. And then they have the third big reveal is when they find the sphere, right? Mm-hmm. All of those shots, like visually could be really cool and really tense and really interesting to build towards like the plot of the movie. And they're, they're throwaway shots. I thought like, this is how you're going to reveal the sphere. And it wasn't that dramatic. It wasn't very interesting. It was like, all right, there's a sphere. <laughs> I guess that's a sphere. Are you, are you saying because of the CGI or what well, do you mean? Not, not because of CGI. I think it's just, it's, they weren't framed correctly. They weren't, oh. uh, the composition was weak. The direction was weak. The cinematography was weak leading up to these re- big reveal shots yeah. that I think could have been like help give the uh, the plot some juice it doesn't have. Well, that's there's 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 have. a part of me that wonders if uh, Barry Levinson was not the best director for this. Oh, no. Yeah, no, like no. I, just he doesn't have anything else like this in his you could say repertoire. he's out of his depth. Oh, <laughs> most people this would have sunk their careers. Hey. Oh. The way, the way you suck when you say that. Oh, all right, Eeyore. <laughs> yeah, like Barry Levinson, he does a lot of like drama. And he does a lot of like comedy, comedy, yeah. comedy drama. Mm-hmm. And he's done like some scary stuff since Sphere. He did this movie called The Bay, which is like a found footage thing where he basically took like an environmental disaster mm-hmm. and then wrote like a fictitious plot around it mm. as if it like to make it more like scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's all right. I haven't seen it. But I hear it's all right. Uh, everything else he's done is more drama. This is not his and category. No, he's he's an excellent writer too. Like he is he? Yeah, he's a very very what good writer. Uh, he wrote for Tootsie. Oh, he did a lot of comedy writing for the Carol Burnett Show and oh, cool. uh, different different like uh, comedy variety shows. He also did a lot of Mel Brooks comedies. Oh. So he did he did Silent Movie and he did High Anxiety. Hmm. So that's where his roots are. Again, I I happen to think that comedy and drama go hand in hand very well as you guys know so it's not it's not a huge jump to do one from the other but to do like sci-fi thriller horror yeah um it just it it you're right josh it wasn't presented in a very suspenseful way and i think that's my biggest um complaint about the film is like the story is really good the The actors are really good yeah the actors are excellent we've all seen them like really like kill it in other different roles and i think the story was it's not the most original material to be quite frank but But, yeah but what is it could have been really cool like i imagine and this is just me like you know um fantasy league if you did this like nowadays with like a direct you think about like arrival yeah the plot in this movie is similar to arrival yeah. it's similar so not exact good. but similar yeah dennis villeneuve right that's how you say his last name yeah Denis Villeneuve, yeah, like he would have fucking crushed this shit. Yeah, or like Alex Garland that did, you know, Ex Machina and Devs mm-hmm. and all that stuff. He would have fucking crushed this shit. There's actually a big move for people that they they just want this movie remade. Um, I, I, makes sense. Yeah, they, they're like the the, the story's really good, uh, plot's good, it's all there. It just needs a different. Yeah, and it, it needs needed, a different take. Yeah, it was it was. I think that uh, Barry Levinson was not the right man for the job, and quite frankly, I think that um, Dustin Hoffman, as big as a star as he was, basically got in the way of the the movie. Yeah, so we're talking about two things. There's the remaking the movie and then Barry Levinson. So from what I understand of recent Levinson work is like he did the Jack Kevorkian HBO movie with Al Pacino and then he did the Bernie Madoff movie with, uh, what's his name? Hello, Robert or Robert De Niro. Um, and he's got a new TV show miniseries coming out with Michael Keaton. So, I mean, he he continues to make stuff produced by HBO. So he's still like a... A, a, a tentpole director mm-hmm. um, but on the the sci-fi side 
thinking about Josh using Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve? Villeneuve? I, you know, I think this is like, I, I don't even like to bring Denis. it up because I know he's like the, the hot piece of yeah. ass right now. <laughs> But like he did, he's done really great work with everything he touches. Yes. So what makes him uh, bringing him up, I think, is is a good reverse engineering that back to to this current sphere is that what he would have brought to this is like a lot of brooding aesthetics, a lot of like kind of strange, mysterious symbology. Or, there's, there's a, yes. Yeah, there's there's a way to like he uses uh like when he frames something, it's really, really far off. Yes. So you, you have this kind of agoraphobic feeling of when you're looking into some kind of a foreign thing. Yes. And, you know, if we're, we're going back to last episode, talking about the lost phobia, you're talking about the expanse and how huge and empty the sea can look sometimes. And then you see something so unnatural just yes. sitting alone. That in itself could could just be like bone chilling. He right. knows, he understands how to use negative space in both a visual and a literal sense. Yes. He knows how to present scale, which anyway. Right. And so in this, it's like, oh, they're on a set that's like 20 by 20 feet and they're just shaking the camera and Peter Coyote's saying, pull the lever. And it felt like some really shitty mm-hmm. like Bravo TV, like, like sci-fi. And not, no, no disrespect, but like original series Star Trek. Like, which, if you look at the plot of this movie, you can combine a couple, like, two, three original series Star Trek uh, episodes, and you've got the plot for Sphere. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's uh, a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Michael Crichton has produced a lot of, you know, well-known franchise material. Obviously, you know, Jurassic Park, Westworld, Andromeda Strain, uh, Congo. Yep. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are all, all fucking. Here's another thing. I fucking love Congo. I, Congo. I haven't seen it since I was 11, and I'm gonna fucking make you guys watch right. that shit. I was gonna shit. say this feels like this might yeah. be an episode coming up here, <laughs> where I'm gonna be so fucking balls to the wall excited because I'm gonna remember what it was like being 11 watching it, and we're all gonna sit down, and Josh is gonna have eight CBD sodas with oh, THC, shit. and I'm gonna be like, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is really bad. <laughs> I'll tell you, you can watch it for the show if you can find a second movie for a double feature of gorillas shooting laser guns with crystals and or diamonds in them. I'm sure there's a we Japanese movie. That movie. Yeah, that yeah we can we'll find that movie. Yeah, yeah, I don't doubt it. Oh God! There's... Yeah. So, like, I was looking about like what what can I compare the plot of Sphere to? Because it does mm-hmm. like the big complaint uh, critically is that it's derivative, and Michael Crichton's material, source material is like very movie media accessible. That's why they keep making them is because they're, they're good. They're good and they're good TV, good movies. But like uh, the big comparison for me or the one that is like glaring in my mind, well, there's really two. There's really two. The, the first comparison is Forbidden Planet. Forbidden, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with Forbidden Planet, Brady? Mm-hmm. Okay, I know that you haven't seen Forbidden Planet. No. But basically in Forbidden Planet, a bunch of people in a spaceship show up on a planet that they're not supposed to go to after being warned multiple times. And they discover a relic from an ancient race. The ancient race basically makes their, uh, calls forth, and I'm going to read this right now, monsters from the id. Basically, people mm. are able to subconsciously manifest monstrous creations to do like their inner desires. So, for example, in this situation, Dr. Morbius, which is a great name, <laughs> is trying to protect his daughter, Altera, from this group of uh, astronauts that have just landed on this planet. So what does he do? He manifests a monster. The monster goes out and kills a bunch of these guys. Mm. And that's Forbidden Planet. And it's also basically the, the plot of Sphere where you've got this 
advanced technology from an ancient race or a futuristic race or whatever, like very yeah. alien race that's now given to base human desires that's basically used to destroy people. You could also make a connection to the Tempest, which a mm-hmm. lot of people uh, believe that uh, Forbidden Planet from 1956 is basically just a rewriting of Shakespeare's The Tempest ah, because yeah. Dr. Mm-hmm. Prospero is calling forth monsters in that one against the sailors that arrive on the alien or the, uh, the island shores. Mm-hmm. The other movie... Uh, that was basically made the year before, which is probably too soon for it to be like, uh, you know, I don't think any, I'm not accusing anyone of plagiarism because it's too soon in terms of the production. <laughs> but I want you to think about it is Event Horizon. Yep. Oh, no, they're the same movie. Yeah. They're, I, and I fucking love Event Horizon and it deserves my love. <laughs> it does. It does deserve your love. I, I find Event Horizon, and I'm going to take a hot take, not as strong on rewatch as what I was when I remember it from back in the day. I can I can see some holes in Event Horizon, but oh. I know a lot of people love it, and it scares the shit out of a lot of people. <sighs> but anyway, but the idea is that everyone's got like their hidden demon that's chasing them, yes. right? So like the the one woman with the the sick kid, and he's got all like the lesions on his leg. Wait a minute, so you didn't like Event Horizon when you rewatched it? I didn't like it as much. It, it definitely kind of dropped a few pegs. I mm. just um... I know I know. And uh, uh, Larry Fishburne, he's got the crewman that's on fire chasing him around. Those are all manifestations from his mind. Mm -hmm. But also, are they coming from the sort of evil dimension, which is like this whole HP Lovecraft connection with Event Horizon? Mm -hmm. I had actually thought about doing Event Horizon and Sphere. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, that would have been like a decent matchup. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah. uh, Not as decent as the Abyss. (laughs) Two aquatic bad boys slugging it out. (laughs) One's better than the other. <laughs> so anyway, as far as like the whole derivative content thing, like yeah, yeah, and like I would say that the reason uh, I bring up the Star Trek stuff before is because if Michael Crichton was going to reference anything, mm-hmm. he would have had access and probably have seen some Star Trek. You know, Event Horizon, not so much. Obviously, Arrival didn't even exist at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, Star Trek, specifically um, the episodes where no man has gone before where basically a cosmic wave uh, gives crewman Gary Mitchell like godlike powers. And then I forget the name of the episode, but it's the one with this like space probe called Nomad, mm. which is like a very Jerry-like sequence where they're, <laughs> they're trying to, Captain Kirk is trying to talk to a computer and he has to like outthink the computer. Yeah. Um, that's the one with Nomad. And if you if you were to combine those episodes into one kind of idea of a, malevolent but also very simple alien intelligence that's using human devices against themselves that's the plot of sphere Mm -hmm. and it's also the plot of forbidden planet and it's like it's a good story i think it's why it's good to reuse i just don't think it's well yeah i mean all good all good uh you know quote-unquote hard sci-fi is all about looking inward it's about using the possibilities of what could be and what might happen and futuristic technologies and societies and basically turning the lens on existential human questions. Yes. And so there, if you divorce the um, kind of projection of people's insecurities and just talk about the paranoia of this movie, like I was thinking about movies like The Thing, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, oh, like there was there was the, this effective moment in this movie where it's like, oh, are you the one that is projecting this? Are you the one like, no, you're going crazy. No, you're going crazy. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of that like, oh, they're onto something here. And then obviously we joked and about then, the Sharon Stone. And then they lost it. Now, actually, so and that's, that was actually a key point where the movie could yeah. have gotten a lot more interesting. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. No, you're fine. So after the gaslighting sequence, there's this moment where all of a sudden Sharon Stone's character, Dr. Beth Halpern, she basically figures it all out. 
she has the whole plot like opened up before she realizes that uh, what's his face Norman Goodman Dustin Hoffman has mm-hmm. been in the sphere that uh, <laughs> Sam Jackson he's been in the sphere and she's trying to she's got it all worked out and she's challenging Dustin she's trapped him in a room and tells him to take a shot yes take this shot it'll sedate you we're gonna we're gonna get this all worked out and had the direction the movie direction shifted from Dustin Hoffman as the hero character. And now he's got this crazy lady trying to make him do something stupid that's going to get him killed. Kill her being, yep. So all of a sudden, she's the hero. That takes us as an audience down a much more interesting yes. like rat yeah. trap of human insanity yep. where we have to like change our loyalties mid-movie. To me, that would be a much more interesting choice. That's not what Barry Levinson does to the film's yeah, uh, detriment. Mm-hmm. detriment. And to add to that, in the book, she actually is the one that decided not to forget so in the book, the ending was different where she decided to remember the sphere. Oh. So her character was intentionally set up to be like, fuck these guys and their insecurities and their inability to handle the shit. I'm the powerful woman who can handle it. Is there a day you want, like, do they figure out, like, is it, is it so just allowed that idea, just that's the end of the book? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All I right. think it just insinuates that she, like, I think it ended on her being like, no, I didn't close my eyes and... I don't know. I didn't read it, but point yeah. is, the ending was different in that way. And then Trump was in a severe car accident. <laughs> oh my god! Sweet Jesus. <laughs> well, um, uh, unfortunately, there's no children thrown in this movie, but um, uh, we are officially, as of right now, starting a new list of people being gaslit in movies. So, um, yeah, let's let's Dr. start. Beth. Let's start keeping that list yeah. uh, up to date. So, the movie gaslight. <laughs> There was, and the, the, just like uh, to back it up, just one more thing. Uh, so another disappointment in terms of like the way the, the plot direction went is that most movies, you get like a really satisfying scene or at least there's an attempt at creating the satisfying scene. Mm-hmm. If there's a mystery or there's some kind of big chase, you're going to see the resolution of the chase. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Sphere, the resolution of the whole movie is the three of them just talking it out. After yeah. While, yeah, while holding hands. After all the stuff, and when they decide to forget, like that's the explanation of the movie. No, like no revelation, no like here it is or teasing it out or making it exciting to follow along. It's just all right. Now that that's all done, we'll yeah. just explain yep. it to you. That's real life, though, for you, baby. It's like you know, if we all just held hands and talked out our problems, you know, the world wouldn't be on fire. Yeah, and then a sphere is, flies out of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. That's real life. That's not why we watch fucking Brady. movies is to get a dose of our our mediocre reality. Not like the sad films you watch, Brady. Yeah. Jeez. Brady watched eight black and white documentaries in <laughs> French this week. <laughs> you don't know me. You don't see me. <laughs> hey. 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 Brady. What's up? I see you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fine. I'll start. Start on Patreon where I'm just talking by myself alone about, you know, really depressing movies. If you could have the computer speaking back at you when you're typing things in, it's like, oh, Brady, in my opinion, actually, in this scene, I would have said that. Um. <laughs> the director's choice was interesting here. <laughs> Fuck you guys. I'm taking my ball and going home. Oh, that was our take on the sphere. I mean, uh, you know, let's start with you, Josh. How would you how would you rate it? What's your overall? Uh, would you, you recommend know, it? I would not recommend it. I, I, I mean, I would recommend it as like you know, study for other 
other movie watching, but that's not, it's not worth your time. Um, Barry Levinson was like sleepwalking through this thing. <laughs> um, he's, he's an incredibly talented man and he's actually produced other movies that I really love. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did The Natural, which mm-hmm. is the, is like a really, um, uh, almost like, well, the way he, the way he tells the story is like this magical combination of Greek mythology through baseball, through the American tradition of baseball. I love The Natural. My family's favorite movie. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a great movie. Or I love it. Um, another movie, or I guess it's a documentary that he's produced, is um, was for the 30, ESPN's 30 for 30 series. Yep. And it was called The Band That Wouldn't Die. And it's about the uh, Baltimore Colts, Colts marching yeah. band. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing documentary. It's an amazing story. And it's very uh, lovingly and generously told uh, through Barry Levinson. And so, uh, of course, you know, some of his other like, you know, staple hits that, I mean, obviously, Rain Man, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor. Yeah. Good Morning Vietnam, Diner. Tootsie, like some of these other things. Like he's obviously clearly talented, but he was not the man for the job yeah. with Sphere. And the the source material, which is a, a source of the, is the starting point for a lot of criticism for the movie, I think is still strong enough to build something from it. Mm-hmm. Had you assembled the right group of talent around it, not necessarily like the best actors that you can get, but the right people for the job. Mm-hmm. So uh, as far as like a rating, gee whiz, fellas, uh, $80 million to make this thing like... I, oh yeah, it, it's it was fun. it's uh <laughs> it grossed it grossed uh thirty heck yeah it grossed like thirty thirty four million thirty seven million okay died so, hard yeah it's uh in it deserved to it deserved a punishing death quite quite <laughs> It's it is better than Eva Destruction. It's it's better than um, Shoot 'em Up. I don't know if it's better than Cats. Uh, Whoa! I don't, I don't know if it's better than Shoot 'em Up, but okay. okay. I, I think I would rather watch Sphere than Shoot 'em Up for me. Interesting, but okay. yes, it, that's that's like, you know, that's like the that's like the solid six movie basement. So I'm gonna give this out of a possible of ten stars. I'm gonna give it like three stars. All right, it's. It's it's sinking under its own weight. Oh, and it's taking on water of all of these uh, shitty plot holes, and um, I don't know. It, it's just badly. It's just a badly told story. All right. I feel like we're amassing this group of movies that are the you know twin siblings in the attic being fed fish heads. Uh, <laughs> are you going in the attic? <laughs> it smells bad up there. I hear footsteps. <laughs> Are you the good son or the bad son? Oh, uh, man. Wow. Well, Josh said it very well about Barry Levinson. So let me focus more on the comparison to The Abyss. So I think last episode, I talked about The Abyss being a disappointment. And I want to clarify that stance and the fact that The Abyss in the first 30 to 60 minutes has so much spectacle and so much innovation, as we talked about innovation and imagination about where it could have gone, that I said it was disappointing only because it set itself up to be this amazing movie, Mm -hmm. right? Compare that to Sphere and pretty clearly within, I think, 15 to 20 minutes, the inflection point for me was when they were on the boat being briefed and it was like Dustin Hoffman's in the foreground, Sharon Stone's in the second, you know, and then uh, Lee Schreiber was third and then fourth. Like the way that they set them up was like like an anime or like a, you know, just cheesy, like superhero thing. And I was like, okay, I know what movie I'm getting. So point is, is that early on enough that it gave me enough cues to say, like, temper your expectations. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yep. So for me, yes, it's a worse movie than The Abyss. However, with substances uh, and with the right group of people, I think that the hour mark when he starts yelling at a computer 
he, is he, extremely memorable. I'm trying. What is Are your you guesstimate? Could be a drinking game. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. What's your guesstimate on how many times he says Jerry? Fifty to seventy-five. Okay. Dustin Hoffman screams at the computer, screaming Jerry over yeah. and over again. Yes. And that could be a drinking game if you felt like getting alcohol poisoning. Yes. He's the hysterical one. That's what's hilarious about this movie. Yes. Is like he's the one that comes across like a total nut job. Yeah. Freaking out at a computer. Like he's best friends with the computer. One hundred percent. So I, in a way, I don't want to speak out of both sides of my mouth, but again, the precedent that Abyss set, like it seemed like it was setting itself up to be like this masterpiece and then it was let down by being two B-movies stapled together. You have a sphere that tried to be like the Abyss, but clearly came up short very early on. So then I kind of settled in for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend, recommend both movies. I would say sphere is not a disappointment. It's just not good. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> and having seen this movie twice, um, some of my favorite movies I've only seen once, but let's just say the second time watching it uh, was a lot more enjoyable because I was able to just go along for the ride. So yeah. um, Abyss, better movie. This is probably a failed four. Um, <laughs> and The Abyss is a soft six. So, Well, Allison, I guess like I, I didn't hate it or I didn't, I wasn't as disappointed as you guys, I mean, it's the type of thing where it's like, I thought it was a little boring, I guess, but I still like, I still think the spectacle was fun. I, I still think the, the death scenes were fun, you know, the kill scenes and seeing the, seeing the mishaps with the, the corpses and everything. I still think it's spooky enough to where I like, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I like, I, I will probably have another like six years before I watch it again. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Like, there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of big names and big talent in this, and not just the actors. I mean, uh, I mean the the art director, the you know the actual director, um, special effects and um, makeup effects. They're all mm-hmm. they're all these really really talented people. I think the visual effects hold up. Visual effects are fantastic, yeah. and that's I think that's unfortunately what usually wins me over with anything. Where I'm like I'm like fuck the story. <laughs> Did you guys this amazing art? <laughs> Did you guys see that monster? <laughs> um, which is just like this is why you should never ask me for movie recommendations. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a five. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'd, a fearless five. A fear. A fearless a f- five. Force, well, forceful five. Um, a, a flimsy, uh, flaccid five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like a like a like a semi erect five. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Like a like a like a chubby friend. <laughs> so <laughs> just just sitting there at half staff waiting for waiting for a little fa- just pat on the head. So uh, yeah. I guess we have a couple voicemails this week. We do. So uh, as a reminder, uh, send us a voicemail at solid6.net slash voicemail. Today we have two one is for our contest that we've been talking about for a little bit since our episode about Convoy um, and Space Truckers. We will start with that from our listener, Mikey. Breaker 1-9, this is Alpha 1 calling in to leave a voice message for the Solid 6 podcast crew. I heard y'all got a trucker hat that's got a nice logo on it, and uh, I'm calling to inquire about getting myself one of those. I got a hamster that it looked great on. They put some sunglasses <laughs> on, take pictures, I don't know. Got to kill the time somehow. Anyways, love y'all's show. Just listen to the one about the movie The Abyss, one of my favorite underwater movies. Aliens are real. 
We all know it. James Cameron made that documentary. Y'all have a great day. Hope to hear from you soon. I'll support your hair. I'll take a picture and send it in. Love y'all. Bye. Oh, oh that's Mikey, awesome. that's I love great. you. Awesome. Thanks, Thank that's you. Oh, the actual you get, best. You get some moon pies too. Yes. We gotta find moon pies. Yeah, we gotta find moon pies. <laughs> <laughs> drive out to a gas station, find some moon pies. <laughs> like, oh, oh. So wow. yeah, we've got a we've got a hat sitting aside for you. I'm gonna drop that off this week, Mikey. Thank you. Aliens and a documentary. I think you think the aliens are real and it's a documentary. That's absolutely 100%. speaking the truth. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, and unrelated to our contest, our uh, seems to be burgeoning regular listener, uh, Wayne, has called in with a second voicemail. Hi. How you doing there, uh, Wayne? Hi. 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 Uh, I don't know if we uh, got really introduced there uh, with the first voicemail. It was very good. Hi. You did a great job. I did. Very well. Uh, two things. The Phantom of the Paradise episode is 45 minutes. What the fuck is that? Because I have that is you guys bantering, talking about your lives and you're braiding your hair and shit. And Brady fucking, I don't know, sitting in front of a keyboard trying to remake fucking Mozart. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so maybe that was a problem. You spent an hour and 15 on cats. <laughs> anyway, uh, The Abyss, fun movie. I like it a lot. Probably one of the only films that James Cameron made that I'll watch. The rest of them are trash. <laughs> He's not wrong. Two things. I ain't going to give you money for no fucking Patreon. Ever. You want mo- you money, put out a tin can, I'll give you a quarter or two. I ain't giving you money for Patreon. Two. Get up on that fucking letterbox shit there, the other white guy. What's his name? That guy, the white guy, the space guy. Yeah, there's three white people in this show. Y'all talk about black fucking problems? Three white people. Anyway, I got to go. Going to go frolic in the tulips with some guy named uh, Dave. I don't know. I just met him. We uh, got, I picked him up on the road. He wants to walk through the tulips. So I'm like, all right, let's go. So, all right. Bye. Wow. It's not wrong. He's not wrong. He's not wrong at all. He's not wrong. About which part? All of it. (laughs) I'm not unpacking Mozart. (sighs) Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Wayne. (laughs) Three white people talking about black people. (laughs) Thank you, Wayne. Thanks Much obliged. For, thanks for keeping it real. Oh, boy. Well, and that, guys, you can always give us a voicemail at solid6.net slash voicemail. You can find us on Instagram at solid6.podcast. Facebook, we're at solid6. And our email is podcast at solid6.net. Reach out to us. We want to play your shit on the show. Brady, do you know what we're doing for the next couple of weeks? I do. Yeah. Uh, it is Barbarella. Whoa! <laughs> Danger and danger diabolic. <laughs> so I feel like they're part of some sort of series that I would call a yeah. Euro romp. John, uh, John yeah. Yes. He's both. Is he? So maybe we should just, uh, what's his name again? John Philip Law. Yeah. So maybe we should just call us a John Philip Law. Yeah. Uh, series. So oh God. I'm so late excited. Late 60s episode or uh, movies that have broken through. I think Columbia Pictures actually distributed both. But they're from lesser-known European directors with Mario Bava and Roger Vadim um, breaking through to make bigger, bigger pictures. So God, I love Barbarella I, so much. I look forward to a yeah. swinging 60s romp. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited about that. Get your cheese on. Your intentional cheese. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit, guys, I'm looking forward to that. We will see you next week with uh, Barbarella. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much.
Bye. Adios, muchachos. Have a good night, y'all. It is wicked. Those that don't know how to be pros get evicted. A woman could bear you, break you, take you. Now it's time to rhyme. Can you relate to a sister dope enough to make you holler and scream? Hey, yo, let me take it from here, queen. Excuse me, but I think I'm about to to get into precisely what I am about to do. I'm conversating to the folks who have no whatsoever clue. So listen very carefully as I break it down for you. Merrily, 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 merrily. Hi, hi, happy, overjoyed. Please, with all the beats and rhymes my sisters have employed. Look at me throwing down the sound. Totally a yes. Let me state the position. Ladies first. Yes? Yes. Yes, there's going to be some changes.